0: Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got
1: an
0: interesting email this week. And it said, Carol, I want to talk about anger. I can't get over my anger, and yet I know that I have to make it work with my husband. Is there some way that I can get rid of this anger? Well, one of the things that I absolutely positively know is that there are specific exercises that a therapist can do to help you externalize your anger. So tonight, that is what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about those exercises. And they are experiential. And they externalize all that anger that sexual betrayal has caused. And I just can't reference how important it is to deal with the anger. But sometimes talk therapy isn't enough. I can I can tell you most of the time talk therapy isn't enough. Now you know I wrote Help or Heal. And so I work with couples on early couples recovery work. So let's go over the the beginning dynamics of what you have to do to get ready for early couples recovery work and then do the harder work of externalizing anger. First of all, I don't know who I'm working with here. If it's somebody that just has experienced discovery for the first time or the second or the third, but if somebody has not been in good recovery, that it's important for the addict to have at least 90 days of absolute recovery. That means they need to be working a program. They need to be going to groups. They need to develop a fellowship. Um, They need to do whatever it takes to get into some good recovery and begin to understand their sex addiction. And while that 90 days is occurring, you're a therapist who should be partner sensitive if you are a partner with you to begin to create safety and stabilization. And when safety and stabilization occurs, what you're going to be doing is educating, being educated about sex addiction in general. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's certain things that I talk to my clients about from the get-go. So I always say, okay, when, when a sex addict calls me or a partner calls me and they want to work on recovery skills for their sobriety and they also want to help their wife, or whoever the partner is, I say, come in together. I want to meet you together because I want you to know who's going to be working with the addict. And I want to make sure that both of you have the right resources right off the bat to get healthy. Because what has happened to you is a trauma. It's a trauma for the addict to watch the trauma of the partner and to know that he or she put the partner through that trauma. And it's important for the addict to find the right recovery tools to begin the journey of recovery. So I'm doing a lot of psychoeducation initially. You know, I am using Patrick Carnes' recovery tasks. And the first seven tasks are as follows. They are tasks that will help a recovering addict figure out what he or she should work on first. For the sake of simplicity, I'm going to talk as if the addict was male and the partner was female. Now, Patrick Carnes tells us that we have to consistently work with an addict to break denial. You know, that may look like We have to help an addict to understand that this is not something that he can do on his own. He needs a whole host of support to begin to get clean. And believe it or not, and you may not believe it, but I've been in this field a long time and I've seen it. Recovery in the initial stages is absolutely easy and effortless. Because the addict wants so badly to get clean, he's willing to do whatever it takes. So, you've heard me talk about it before, but the 10 recovery tools are meetings, whether it's SA, whether it's SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, SA being Sexaholics Anonymous, SAA, Sex Addictions Anonymous. Or a religious program, Every Man's Battle, coming straight from Pure Desires, or a program that has been known to work for an addict. The reason those programs are so successful is because they require meetings, they require readings, they require transformational work, and they require fellowship. And so let's just look at the 12 steps, for example. My first five recovery tools would be get a sponsor so that you have somebody who has a lot of clean time that can help work you through this program. Then I want you to use whatever book that program advocates, the green book, the white book, the purple book, you name it, they have to do that reading. They have to be willing to do the 12-step work. So not only do they have to read about it, but then they have to participate in it. And you would not believe how many addicts that I work with who are in meetings for two, three, four years, and they have not done their 12-step work. And they can't figure out why they're struggling. They are struggling because they haven't done the internal work, the transformational work that will make them healthy. So that is uber important, as well as they have to begin to develop relationships with men in that program. Now, I don't advise men to have relationships with female sex addicts, so I want the men to have relationships with other men in their group whereby they have their phone numbers and they call them or text them at least three to five times a week. Sometimes that's to check in. How are you doing? How's your recovery going? Hey, it sounded like you had a really hard time with your wife. How are things today? And then it's also to receive. I'm struggling. I had an urge to drink today, and I have promised my therapist that I will not drink. It lowers my inhibitions, and I seem to be doing okay with my sex addiction, but drinking is another story. So you get the gist. The first five tools have to do with that camaraderie, that support, that fellowship, and that learning. The next five tools include going to a certified sex addiction therapist, Getting yourself into, if at all possible, a sex addict therapy group, train, meditating, or journaling. That's one tool. You pick at least one of those. Accountability tools like Covenant Eyes, GPS, Polygraph tests, and then reading about addiction separate from the group you may be participating in, but that helps you to understand that sex addiction is a brain disorder. It involves brain chemistry. So when men say to me, well, I'm masturbating, but I'm not looking at pornography, I say to them, you are not protecting your brain because if you're masturbating, you're opening up your brain to all the visual images you've seen in the past. And as one very wise, sponsor said to his sponsee, you might want to consider abstaining from masturbation and seeing if that doesn't increase your recovery work. Okay, that's the 10 tools. And when they move in and out of those 10 tools, I am breaking that denial and saying you need to get back into them. And then that second recovery task really is about understanding your addiction And so what books are absolutely essential in helping you understand that? What podcasts give you the information you need to get clean and to stay healthy? The third task is surrendering. Surrendering to the process, the process that I just talked about. And it means embracing it. You know, earlier I said that it's a piece of cake for Recovering addicts in the first three months because they so want recovery that they love the support, the education, the psychoeducation that they're getting. Now, after that first three months, it gets more difficult, but I just want to tell you that they've surrendered to the process. The fourth task is to limit damage, and that means they get rid of their electronics or they get flip phone. Or they do daily check-ins where they report to their wife how they're doing. And that accomplishes the fifth task, which is really to establish sobriety. What do you need to be sober? You need to do all your tools, but do you need to stop drinking? Um, If you don't think drinking is an issue, do you need to stop driving by specific places that trigger an urge or a craving. What do you need to do to establish sobriety? The sixth task is to really work on your physical integrity. Get those STD tests. Have your family, your wife, your partner, get her test. Make sure that you're safe physically And then begin to do the physical work to restructure the body so that you're putting good things in your body. You're eating the right foods. You're beginning to exercise. You're taking your vitamins. You are creating a whole new person. And the seventh path, again, is what we talked about in the first five tools. It is really creating and maintaining culture of support. Now those first seven tasks come from a book called Facing the Shadows, the best workbook on sexual addiction that there is. Again, written by Patrick Carnes. I may sound like a, I'm a Patrick Carnes junkie, and that is because I am. He's the father of sex addiction. He has the illness. He's a PhD. He has trained us all. And he has done research to substantiate that these are the things that you need to do. Then, once the 90 days have been established, if you're lucky enough to have a partner, I want you to negotiate how you're going to share the truth with her. Now, I say that with the caveat. That if for some reason she does not want a formal disclosure, that process by which she learns everything about your addiction, that is her choice. But in working with partners, we really advocate for that because the addict lets go of all of the secrets and the partner knows exactly what she's dealing with. And in 95% of those cases, at least this is my experience, that disclosure makes her feel safe. She hears all the bad things. She establishes what she needs to feel safe. And that's almost, well, it's with me, it's always um, followed by a polygraph test. I know you don't think polygraphs are admissible in court, and you're absolutely right, but they help to keep an addict clean. They help to establish safety, and they help to substantiate that the disclosure gave all the information. Okay, you should never use words like never and all, because certainly I've worked with many an addict who down the road remember something unconsciously that they had forgotten to share in the disclosure. So I help them navigate that so that they can again establish more truth. All right, so 90 days, formal disclosure, followed by a polygraph. Now, you as a couple are ready to work. But not in couples therapy. Things are way too fragile You are way too new at this to expect to jump into heavy-duty couples' work. But we do early couples' recovery work. And what is that? Well, if you've read my book, Help Her Heal, an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal, you know what it is. It's all the skills that I talk about in that book to begin to develop empathy. And that, in and of itself, is so important. It's so important in establishing that foundation of truth and trust, authenticity, and honesty. You know, that's where it's at. Honesty is the antidote to addiction. Honest. It's much more difficult to be an active addiction because it's incongruent with secrecy. So we do early couples recovery work. Now, for some of you who hate to read, I have an alternative. It's on my website, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and it is the online course help her heal. It's me actually going through the book with you, giving you the homework, and really helping you to help her heal. So it's a nice alternative to reading the book. The book is cheaper, but the online course, if you ask me, is like working with me for 12 sessions, it's over. 15 hours of me talking and um, really working diligently to make her heal. And I know that that can be important, so I'm going to talk more about that later. It looks like I have a call. Hi, this is Carol, the coach. What can I help you
1: with? Oh, I'm your guest for the show tonight. This is Alana Pratt, intimacy coach. Thank you for having me.
0: Alana, it is so good to have you. And I am thrilled that you're you're making it tonight. I actually had you down for next week. So when I saw that you called, I thought, I bet you that is one of my guests. So Alana. Oh, sorry for the mix up. I hope it still works for you. Always. Let's talk about what you have to help couples heal, to help recovering addicts heal and really to promote coaching, which is taking your life to the next level.
1: Tell me a little bit about mm. yourself and why you got into coaching. Well, thank you for asking me. And I've just been a little bit eavesdropping before I came on live. And I just love what you've created to help her heal and really taking people through these steps. And I love that empathy is at the root of what you're, you're sharing and I think the work mm-hmm. that I do as an as an intimacy coach, I, I definitely help people who have suffered heartbreak and they're ready to live mm-hmm. unapologetically, open-hearted. And when it comes to sexuality, my experience is there's so much shame or guilt that people are operating on top of and they don't know how to integrate it. And empathy is a wonderful path. I I've been a an intimacy expert now for about 20 years, definitely because I needed help in the first place. I think we're always here to teach what we're here to learn. Um, So, yeah, a little bit about me is while on the credible side, I'm a cum laude grad of Columbia. I've had the pleasure of interviewing people like Whoopi Goldberg or Alanis Morissette on my podcast. And I have 5 million views on YouTube and that's all like the shiny, impressive stuff. I'm an author of six books, and I'm very proud of all of that. And on the other side, I also want to be vulnerable, and that the path that I got there was two divorces and a 12-year custody battle that I didn't win. In the end, I, I relinquished just to stop the fighting and I took the high road, which was very painful, but I felt it was the right thing to do to create peace for everybody. And so when I went through that process, I did not have an intimate relationship with myself, Carol. I, quite, I was humiliated. Oh. I blamed myself, was highly critical. And on the outside, I was just trying to shine everybody on that I was good enough. And it was the journey of learning how with empathy, compassion, and true unconditional love, love without condition, if you're ashamed, little Alana, in my heart, I love you. And if your son never calls you again, I love and accept you. And if people think you're a horrible intimacy coach because you couldn't make your peace with your divorce, I love and accept you. And if you're single and no man wants to be with you, I mean, the list was long, Carol. I love and accept you. And not just some airy-fairy affirmation, the deep inner integrative processing and healing that one does when one goes through this kind of work. There was a moment, Carol, where finally all the resistance to me went away. All the pushing away of my parts went away. And I just let all of my wobbly parts come home. I love you and accept you no matter what happens on the outside. And I'd say it was like a direct experience of home, oneness, wholeness. I still desire to improve. I still have a lot of drive to create. I love to contribute. And yet it's no longer driven from trying to prove I'm good enough no longer driven by trying to pretend I'm not wounded over here. It's like this vulnerable, open, transparent, honest, hi. And I, one of the results of being this way is my clients feel safer with me because I won't judge them. I'll have that empathy you referred to. And when I mm-hmm. teach this to them and they can be this with their partner, they're able to get through conflict, get through shame, get through these bumps that all relationships go through with so much more ease and deeper connection. The very worst can actually bring out the very best in you and in your relationship.
0: Well, and it certainly seems like, Alana, that you have been studying this for a long time. I mean, you you just wrote, uh, why Americans are having less sex now than they did 20 years ago, and you're looking at what COVID has done to sexual relationships, and
1: you really
0: have made intimacy your expertise. So tell me a little bit about what you believe is happening to couples who are
1: having less sex. Yeah, isn't that fascinating that it wasn't even mm-hmm. th- before COVID hit that they were having less sex than they were 20 years ago? And here's what I've found in my practice, and I'm curious with yours. Um, the women, I mean, a man is no longer a plan. <laughs> women, we are, you know, working for ourselves, providing for ourselves, and we're often living alone. And so there isn't as much um, just get in a relationship and just have sex. There's a lot more single women living alone. And they're also not satisfied by hookups or one-night stands anymore, both of my female clients and my male clients. They're the ones that are attracted to me, really crave. Now, I'm looking for something deeper, like maybe I go do a Tinder hookup and for a moment I feel great, but I go home feeling more empty aching for that meaningful connection that heart connection and so they're choosing not to have sex just to sort of fill an empty hole or hunger within them they're taking their time to get to know somebody so it's not just genital copulation it's real love making it's real sacred sex, where they can be so much more expressive and authentic in and out of the bedroom. they can be brave in and out of the bedroom the The conversations are almost feel like making love, not just the act of sex itself. so that's one of the um, other reasons I've found um, and one of the reasons I think also that Americans are not having as much sex. Have you ever just pre-COVID, of course, but been to like a restaurant or an airport and how many people are actually on their phones as opposed to chin up, looking out and connecting with people? It's this sort of safe go-to to be on our phone. No chance of rejection, no talk back, just stay on the phone. But if we put the phone down, and we lift our chin, and we open our heart, and we connect with others, we could be rejected. How how am I supposed to approach that person? So I literally think that the report isn't including the increase in porn, or cam girls, or, or any of this. I think they're still, quote unquote, getting off. I think they're just not having as much sex, because they can just hide on their phones, and not get out there. And, and have that meaningful connection and the beautiful, natural, healthy uh, sex that is our birthright. So I think technology well, I has something to do with it as well. What do you think, Carol?
0: Well, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I want to remind my audience that I'm talking to Alana Pratt. She's the author, relationship expert, and intimacy coach who talks about sex. And, Alana, you know, many of my listeners have been ravaged by sex addiction. You know, the Internet has hmm. brought about so many opportunities to disconnect, as we were talking about, yeah. in a way that is shallow, and yet it's, it activates the brain, it produces dopamine, so it still yep. feels good, but lacks that, that human connection. And so yeah. when you work with people who are... Overly tech savvy and who are addicted to their phones and perhaps have a history of porn and webcam girls and webcam guys. It's not just men, it's women too. For sure. I'm wondering, yeah, for sure. What, what do you recommend? I mean, I just heard you say they need to lift their heads and notice what's around them, but if they are in relationship with somebody, what do you advise that they do to get back to get back that intimacy that they ultimately really want
1: mm, such a great question, so we'll take the example if they're in a relationship, and this is what 's happening. I am in total agreement with you that the first step has to be that empathy if you Are going to be stuck in shame and guilt about it. That's the lowest vibration on Hawkins scale of consciousness you could choose. And so you're not going to have enough life force energy to actually make the shift and make the change. So the first place I start is what I said before. What I went through was I find the little you inside your heart, inside your soul, whatever word works for you, and come home to yourself. Have some compassion for yourself, have some empathy for yourself you're doing your best. Yes, you choose something different. That's great. But to start off by rejecting and criticizing and and judging yourself is only going to make it worse. So the first is really just come home to yourself. Yes, you're addicted to porn. And the end of the sentence becomes, and I still love and accept myself. I'm afraid Mm -hmm. to tell my partner and I love and accept myself. Write down a whole list of everything that's going on that you're ashamed of or feel guilty about, and then end the sentence with, and I love and accept myself. That sort of brings us out from the drowning back into the present moment. Step two, well, I, I don't – oh, go ahead.
0: Well, i going to answer I call those realistic affirmations where you actually identify what you're working on or what you don't feel good about, and then you affirm yourself. I love. What was your affirmation
1: again? Yeah, and um, yeah, and I love and accept myself. Mm -hmm. Whatever the truth is at the beginning, and I love and accept myself. Yes.
0: I know, and people don't
1: understand that
0: it is the way we talk to ourselves that can make all the difference in the world. So you are suggesting that addicts and and betrayed partners alike, no matter what has happened to them, if they begin to look at themselves, really accept their own um, imperfections, but also the fact that they are important human beings, brilliant and beautiful. I I know you wrote the new book, Finding the One is B.S. Becoming the One is brilliant and beautiful.
1: So you are Mm -hmm. a person
0: that really believes in affirmations.
1: Yeah, and I really believe in the core fundamental relationship that I believe is is the building block of all successful relationships, which is that relationship with ourselves. And uh-huh. you can expand that relationship with yourself to the relationship with the divine, God, the field, whatever word works, so that you're not alone on this journey. You're co-creating with a power, a higher power that has your back. And yet I believe that power is, gives us free will. So if we say, I suck, that's a low vibration, and the low vibration is going to be returned, and so it is. But if we say, yeah. okay, I have an addiction And I love and accept myself That rises up Raises up your literal measurable Vibration of your heart It's called coherence They can measure it now And the more Mm -hmm. you love and accept And have compassion for yourself It raises up your vibration And then the feedback loop of the universe Is now going to give you Feedback, support, serendipity um, Miracles Whatever word you want to use At a higher vibration The perfect counselor will show up the perfect opportunity to talk with your partner will show up. The courage to make new choices will show up. That's all vibration. And so we start mm-hmm. where we're oh, right. at and we keep walking up the ladder. Yes.
0: Well, and I don't know where you went to coaching school, but I, um I believe that what you appreciate, appreciate the law of abundance yes. or the law of attraction. And uh, the president of the coaching school that I um, attended was Bruce Schneider, and he did a book called Energy Leadership, and it is exactly about we have to, as human beings, elevate ourselves by raising that vibrational energy. And and I was just telling my listening audience a couple of weeks ago, a Deepak Chopra um, exercise to do that is... When you have a negative thought, you use the acronym STOP. STOP is S, STOP the thought, and then it's O, I'm sorry, it's T, take three deep breaths and smile. Now, when you're having a negative thought, the one thing you don't think about doing is smiling, but just the (laughs) act of smiling and observing what the thought is raises that vibrational energy And then I even go so far as to encourage people to feel that smile all the way down to their toes. And when they do that, they're able to observe a whole new feeling. And then P stands for proceed. Proceed with care, compassion, and love. Do something nice for the person you may be disgruntled with or for yourself Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. for somebody else. And let's face it. That's 12-step work. That's when you are giving back in very yes. important and powerful ways. Now, mm. I interrupted you because you had gone through that first step. Tell me what that second step is to uh, mm. first, raising that personal yeah.
1: energy. First, I just want to riff off what you just said because you're so right, and by just giving people another resource, uh, heartmath.org. I had the pleasure of leading a meditation at their annual conference down in Mexico. And they have this thing called an inner balance uh, and you hook it up to your ear and it measures the literal uh, coherence in your heart. And you have a little app on your phone that tracks this and you practice breathing through your heart. And I love that you said breathing all the way down to your toes. So start in your heart And let that smile and that breath go all the way through your body. And then they say you cannot think your way to a higher vibration, a higher level of coherence. You can only feel your way And science. And this Mm -hmm. uh, measurement device proves it. You must feel appreciation for yourself. And if you can't feel appreciation because you're feeling really low, you can feel compassion, empathy. Both of them will raise the number. So first, think of a part of uh, something that happened or someone you love, even if it's a flower, it could be a thing, just something that makes you smile and feel appreciation. This will raise the number, the coherence, your ability to raise your vibration. Once you get good at that, then think of things that are harder to have appreciation for and practice feeling compassion. Don't think it. Feel it, a whole body sensation and emotion of compassion for yourself. You'll see the, uh, the number go up. And then the last part that makes the number go up, higher in coherence, higher in love, care, kindness, empowerment, vibration, is letting go of attachment, letting go of how it's all going to work out. Just let it go, give it over. And then you'll watch the number shoot up again. So our attachment to results, we're making something very significant, or very too important lowers our ability to raise our vibration. So I just wanted to add that other statistic or other resource in there for, for the listeners. But um, back to step two, once we've come home to ourselves and we have truth, taking total ownership, total responsibility, and meeting ourselves with compassion and empathy. And I still love and accept myself. This raises us up to take an action. In every situation, I believe, is different. I believe until we are in a healthy place to communicate to our partner, I don't want us to dump on our partner, seek um, blame or revenge or pity party. um, Any of these kind of energies when we first approach our partner about the situation isn't going to go so well. So whether this is right, wrong, good, bad, it's just what works for me is to first seek help from an outside party, somebody like you, somebody like me, a counselor that can help us take the next step into understanding what's going on, healing the wound and beginning new new actions, so that by the time we do communicate from our partner, we're centered. We don't need their approval. We're not hiding in shame. Our heart is open and we learn how to communicate about this with, with, uh, with our partner. In terms of the actual letting go of the addiction, I'm not a PhD. I'm not a doctor. But what I've found with my clients is, uh, it, for, the, for I'll speak for, for the male clients because those are the ones I've worked with, is, is cold turkey. is cold turkey. And um, taking care, extraordinary care of their well-being, i.e. When, when you're not getting that dopamine hit and the body is regulating to eat very, very healthy, um, even to have cold showers in the morning. So those would be like physical things that have created better results for people. And then emotionally with a new narrative, a new story, a new image, and it won't work at first, so don't give up, but it begins to work to create new pictures of what turns you on in your mind and have it be your partner. And if you're single, have it be like the divine feminine or the divine masculine. But until there's literally new pictures that can be associated with turn on, there's nothing in the brain that will turn the libido on of the body, except for the old pictures of, of the, the porn or what have you. And the power To create a new experience, quantum psychology, spiritual technology that I've been trained in says you need four elements. You need the thought, the image, the emotion, and the body sensation, all four elements to reprogram a healthy turn-on. And so if you're with a partner that you love and you choose to heal your relationship and have it turn into thriving intimacy, you would be practicing seeing feeling the emotion, feeling the body sensation, and thinking, I'm so horny for my partner. I'm so turned on by my partner. I'm so opened wide by my partner. I'm so enlivened by my partner. And, and you just keep moving in that direction, that on a physical and a brain level, that has created um, positive support for my, for my clients who are coming out of that first initial difficult detox when their body, their brain, their hormone receptors are all rewiring. And during that period, uh, an accountability buddy, uh, a daily accountability buddy is so important, someone who would never shame you and who has your back and believes in you, like that daily check-in, that empowering check-in, that you're amazing, you got this, Uh, is very, very important, as well as the coach, therapist, or doctor that's supporting you through that process. And then step three would be communicating with your partner. And this is not from coaching school. This is from actually being the head of Toastmasters at a club for many, many years. And we did these things called table topics. And it was extemporaneous speaking, and then somebody gave you feedback And they taught us all about the sandwich. (laughs) And it works with uh, all communication, I believe, is great with a sandwich. You don't just lead with the big information and dump it on someone because they tend to get defensive or feel blindsided. And so the idea of of setting up a sacred conversation, a special dinner, a special walk, something I really want to talk uh, from my heart with you about. And then the first piece of bread on the sandwich, let's say, You speak authentically about gratitude. I want to thank you for, if you're in a relationship, for the years of you being my partner. I want to thank you for the wonderful conversations we've had. I want to thank you for your grace when I make mistakes and your forgiveness as I clean up my mess and make up for the damage done. Something authentic that's that's gratitude or appreciation driven lowers their defenses and raises the vibration of the conversation and raises that coherence that we were talking about in the heart. And then you go to the middle of the sandwich. And I always like to ask permission first. May I speak from my heart? When you give somebody permission to receive a message, they feel honored and not blindsided. So you ask for the yes. May I, may, may I tell you what's on my mind? But I like even more, may I speak from my heart? Because it helps you to stay in your heart. When you're communicating, not trying to do it right, look good, you know, not have rejection, which is where the mind often goes. But the heart will speak with truth, kindness, honesty, compassion. And when you speak the truth, um, something I want to tell you that I've been struggling with is such and such, um, an addiction, a sex addiction. And then just take a beat. Take a beat. Don't keep talking at them. Let them take it in. Let them have their experience. And if they freak right out, you can say, you have every right to feel this way. I acknowledge how you're feeling. Or if they say, tell me more, you can say thank you. Thank you for your grace, for listening, and share more. So in the middle of the sandwich, you share the truth about what's going on. The end of the sandwich, the other piece of bread, I would love to know your thoughts. I would love to know how you feel. Tell me what's going on in your world. You give it back over with honor and give them the floor. And depending on the style of your relationship, depending on their level of consciousness, it could be complete reaction, blame, all the way over to tears. Uh, They could walk out of the room. They could embrace you. Like, I don't know what's going to come at you. So this is where we practice presence. And presence means my heart's going to stay open. I'm going to be in allowance. You don't have to like it. You don't have to prefer it. But keep your heart open, zero resistance, total allowance to however they feel. Because you've been doing a lot of work. You've been doing a lot of processing. You've been dealing with your emotions. This is the first time this person is ever going to hear the news. So give them grace. If they need a timeout, that's fine. Honor them. And however they're feeling. You have every right to feel that way. I hear you. Tell me more. I understand. What else? I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And you just let the other person speak. And sometimes the only thing to really say is, thank you. I hear you. What else? And when that other person feels safe, seen, heard, and understood, resolutions, courses of action, co-creative ideas, thank you, um, oneness can occur when you're not justifying and making reasons and you're not blaming and you're not hiding. You're just this brave, glorious soul who's doing the work and is committed to resolution and healing and committed to a thriving relationship with their partner. You can even eh, say that at the end of the sandwich. I'm so committed to a thriving sexual relationship with you. Tell me how you feel about what I just shared. What are your thoughts, Carol?
0: Tell you a couple of things. One is uh, you're speaking my language in that. Have you ever heard of Pono? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, because for our listening audience, let me just remind them, we're listening and talking with Alana Pratt, and she has written a book, Finding the One is B.S., Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful, She's a coach. She helps people with intimacy. She's known as the intimacy coach. And she actually has a podcast called Intimate Conversations, and we'll talk about how to access that in just a minute. But Honoponopono, for our listening audience, is is actually um, a, a process that was first developed uh, and practiced in prison with prisoners who had committed horrible crimes and a psychiatrist, instead of seeing the prisoners, would read the prisoner's chart and he would say four things to to the chart. He would say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. And what he hmm. found is when he said those words and meant it, maybe he was sorry that they had experienced sexual abuse as a kid. And he thanked them for expressing their anger and letting him know that they were really bound by what had happened to them, all the trauma that had occurred in their life. And then mm. he thanked them for being who they were and um, then said, I love you, just kind of that, passing on that compassion, he found that that was very healing. Again, it raised that vibrational energy. And so our, our couples that I work with in sex addiction and partner betrayal have been through so much trauma, both of them. And they've been through their own childhood trauma. The addict has traumatized the partner. The partner feels betrayed. Maybe she's had past betrayals. And when you quietly to yourself say those four things, again called the Hone Pone 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 Method, it it is healing Because it raises that vibrational energy and it brings down that defensiveness, that rationalization, that justification, all those things that people in guilt and shame tend to feel. So I'm loving your bullet points. I'm wondering, do you have a website or something where our listeners can find out more about this
1: methodology? Mm, Thank you so much. It's my name. So Alana Pratt is spelled A-L-L. A-N-A-P-R-A-T-T dot com. From there, you can access my podcast, as you said, Intimate Conversations, my YouTube channel by the same name. There's lots of books there. There's lots of guided meditation. And also an intimacy blind spot uh, assessment. Most of the people that are on the personal growth path, I find to be quite intelligent, uh, committed to lifelong learning, And if they could have figured it out themselves, they would have. But that's the thing with blind spots. I can't see mine either. I have two or three coaches, even though I have a lovely coaching practice. uh, In all humility, I can't see mine either. And so when there's a process I take you through to go, oh, I thought that this was the issue, but it's really this is running the show. Sometimes the truth first pisses you off before it sets you free. It's a bit of a okay, it's deep, it's deep, and yet you can take your power back and you have clarity and direction on how to heal, perhaps a pattern that's been sabotaging you your whole life. That makes so much sense.
0: And I love that, obviously, you're a master at helping people to understand what they personally can do themselves not only to help another person, but to make themselves feel better. Because you and I both know that a person who's going to be successful has got to feel good about who they are. And it's hard yeah. when you've committed sexual betrayal um, actions against somebody to feel good. And yet, that's what recovery is all about. And um, yeah, that's why we really we implore people to get into a good recovery program, find a coach who can help them actualize their potential, and, of course, seek good mental health therapy as well as psychiatric therapy if, if they need more than coaching or counseling. Yeah. So I yeah. noticed that you have a mission to end human trafficking. Can you share a little bit about that? Because that is so... Um, That is so purposeful in today's world. So share a little bit Mm. about
1: that. Thank you. The more I've learned how to sit in my own darkness, my own shadows, face my own demons, learning how to love the parts of myself that I only knew how to hit with a two-by-four and shove in the closet in the back of my heart, once I learned how to do that, I started to have the courage to face some of these issues that we're dealing with on the planet and human trafficking, seeing um, bodies as commodities uh, really hurts my heart. And before I didn't have the capacity to look into the darkness and do anything but blame the perpetrators and feel pity for the victims. And that's not going to do any good. And so as I've grown as a, as a coach, grown as a woman, I'm able to see see, and this is like a trend in my practice, how the very worst can bring out the very best in people. The stories of human trafficking or the stories of being raped or uh, the stories of since five years old and and, an uncle or an aunt or a priest or whoever it was taking advantage of, of people. These are most of my clients that they've gone through something like this. And there's, it's a completely different point of view to have somebody say to you, I'm not going to pity you, I am so sorry what happened, so sorry. And what if you are one of the most warrior priests, warrior priestesses of the light out there, and that this happened because, and you got through it because you're that resilient and that strong, and we can integrate this so that it can bring out your greatest bravery, your greatest resilience, your greatest light, and your greatest ability to heal your own self and heal others and give back to humanity. The very worst could bring out the very best in you. And this is what happens with my clients. And so this is the work I like to tithe to, different human trafficking organizations. Uh, There's an organization I'm doing a workshop for called Safe International and Moms to Moms some refugees over in Europe who the camps are well overrun, but they've been able to find these ways to bring the moms and the children together and have them live together and create new lives after being you know, trafficked or deeply, deeply abused. And So I love to be able to support the people that are on the front line by giving away workshops to my clients or our other couples or singles to help them in their life, and then I donate all the money to the different nonprofits who are even better than I am at addressing exactly what to do on the front lines in the world. And then, lastly, I would simply say, I really am grateful for my courage and all of the people that work to to change the planet for their bravery to be able to look at be the light in the darkness and shift the world so that bodies are seen as divine temples and sex as seen as sacred and natural and not something to manipulate with. And that remembering that you can't feel forgiveness if you haven't first been betrayed. You don't know what night is unless you know what day is. So to not get stuck in the victim story of what happened to us, but see it as the, the context, to take us to the other side of the polarity and evolve as, as, as a consciousness for humanity, um, for the planet. Yeah. Well, that,
0: those are some big goals and some big missions. And, you know, obviously you have a lot of diverse talent and I just wish you the best. I'm, I can see that you're making a huge difference in the lives of others. And when they go to your website, Alana Pratt they'll get to see the six books that you've written and you know I just can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and your positivity and you're very inspirational so you keep up this incredible work we need intimacy experts and we all know that starts with us
1: Hmm. Thank you, Carol, for your beautiful acknowledgement, for the privilege of being on your show, and for all that you do every single day for the world, for your clients with this show. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: All right. You take care and tell Amanda I thank you, too.
1: (laughs) I will. I will. All right. Much love to you, Carol. Thank you so much. Good night. You too. Good night. So, Alana Pratt, uh,
0: Life Coach, Intimacy Expert, Uh, As you could tell, I had her down for another day. I actually went back and looked, and I was in the wrong. Uh, We have gone back and forth on some dates. I am so happy that I had this open and I was able to speak with her because I really do appreciate people who know that they can change the world with their thoughts, and that's what I want to leave you with tonight. It doesn't serve you live in guilt and shame. It doesn't, if you're a partner, it doesn't serve you to wonder what was wrong with you. We can, this minute and this moment, make choices to look at life differently. Now, I am going to be talking about how to deal with anger because I don't want anybody stuck in the anger. I want them to move through it so that they can move to the next level. So I will keep you posted on that show. Um, I hope you enjoyed this one. I know I did. Uh, If you want to read more about vibrational energy and you have a business, you can look at Energy Leadership, Bruce Snyder. And I am such a fan of Dr. Wayne Dyer, who wrote, there's a spiritual solution to every problem. And that's where I was first introduced to vibrational energy. And I remember reading it, telling my friends during a a girl's week off, we were at the lake, this is crazy stuff. I don't think I even understand it. I can't imagine that everything has vibrational energy. I'm just going to have to reread this again. Fast forward. I do believe that was in 2002. Fast forward, and now I'm a (laughs) proponent. a vibrational energy because what I do know to be true is what you appreciate, appreciates. So if you live in anger and distrust and low self-esteem, you'll attract more of that into your life. But if you find the gratitude, if you find something to believe in that has to do with you and you appreciate that, more of that will come back to you and That is what you deserve. So, every show, there will only be one of you at all times, and I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself, appreciate what you are, and we'll catch you next week for more sex help with Carol, the coach. Make it a good one.